0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. There are fears that hit us hard. Fears that we don't laugh about, fears that we don't enjoy, the fear of being alone, the fear that you'll be exposed as a fraud. The fear that your friends or peers will laugh at you. The fear of being penniless one day. The fear of being forgotten. The fear of dying. We live in what the Bible calls a fallen world. And a fallen world is a scary world. We live in a scary world. And you can see how this develops even in the youngest among us, children, very often take to themselves security blankets, things, objects that they can cling to. You know about Linus Van Pelt from the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right, or from the whole Charlie Brown cartoon series. Linus is always clinging to a blanket. I think that's where the term (coughs) security blanket came from, is the blanket that uh, Linus always had near him to protect him from a scary world. And you know, there's a lot of scary things that happen in the Christmas story. Imagine how Mary must have felt when the angel came and told Mary that she was going to give birth to a child and yet that child would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is a young girl about 16 years old. Imagine how scary that must have been for her. How about the depiction we get of King Herod decreeing that all the oldest male or the youngest male children in Jerusalem would be killed. Imagine how that made parents in Jerusalem feel. And then Jesus, as we know, being born in a manger, not in an inn, not in a comfortable setting, but in threatening circumstances. All of these are occasions for fear, and we see them frequently in the Christmas story. And into this story, God brings to us words of comfort, words of grace, words of hope. He tells us not to fear. Do not fear. And that's what we're going to see here in these verses in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I'm going to read this again. We heard a lot of text read, so I'm just going to read this short passage here so you can be reminded what we're talking about here tonight. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Our Lord in heaven, we do ask that you would bless now the preaching of your word. We thank you for the great joy it has been to hear from your gospel about the birth of your son. And so now we look to your Holy Spirit to join with the proclamation of your word, Father to strengthen weak hearts and give hope to the despairing, to give clarity to those who are confused, to humble the prideful, and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst now. Do that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, three things that I want to show you from this text about fear, this very commonly experienced emotion. And the first thing is this that there is a proper kind of fear. There is a time when we certainly ought to be fearful. And we see an example of that in this text. We see the depiction of these shepherds in verse 8 who are out in the field. Now, we've seen many pictures over the years of these shepherds, and there's a certain kind of stereotype about what the shepherds were like. There's this assumption that they were Uh, mild, kind of gentle, docile people, but in reality to be a shepherd was a very tough vocation. Shepherds actually were not highly regarded in Israel at this time. They couldn't keep the ceremonial laws like the rest of Israel. They often had to work on the Sabbath, And so, many in Israel look down upon them for that. We see here that they are watching over their flock by night at the end of verse 8. Even in nighttime, they are working. But to keep watch over a flock was not necessarily an easy thing to do. The shepherds didn't have a fence that could be used to contain the sheep. That means the sheep could wander wherever they wanted And when sheep wander away, it is the job of the shepherd to go and find the sheep and bring the sheep back. And we see examples of that in the Gospels. Uh, This is a very arid, dry part of the world. It would be very hard to find water, but the shepherd was responsible for making sure that those sheep were well hydrated. But probably most significant, it was the responsibility of the shepherds to protect the sheep from predators. When animals, wolves, came in seeking to damage, kill, eat these sheep, it was the shepherd's responsibility to offer protection. There's an example of this in 1 Samuel 17. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? When this Philistine giant comes out and threatens the Israelites, and David steps forward, and he says, I will stand up to this giant And Saul comes to David and he says, David, you're just a youth. You're not qualified for this job. And David says, Saul, you don't understand. I'm a shepherd and I watch over my sheep. And when a wolf or a bear comes in and grabs one of my sheep, I have to go and strike these animals and take from their mouths these sheep. That's a tough job, taking a sheep out of the mouth of a wolf. And yet that's what these shepherds did. This was a tough vocation. This was for tough people. And that's what casts light on what happens here in verse 9 that makes this so interesting. In verse 9, we see that an angel of the Lord appears to them, to these shepherds, and it says, "...the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled." with fear they were terrified they were shaken in their boots at the glory of God these are not wimpy people but these are people face to face with the glory of the one true majestic holy and righteous creator of the universe and they are terrified that's a proper kind of fear Every one of us would be flat on our faces right now if we were brought face to face with the glory of God in the same way that these shepherds were. We see examples of this in the scriptures. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6 when God appeared to him? What was his exclamation? Oh Lord God, I am undone. First chapter of Ezekiel. We're told that the glory of God shone around Ezekiel. And rather than saying, wow, this is really cool, Ezekiel fell flat on his face before the glory of God. There's a writer named Annie Dillard who puts this in perspective very nicely here. She's talking about worship, coming into the presence of God for worship. And she says, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke when we come to worship? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets in the presence of the glory of God. saw a poll, CBS News, a couple months ago. Things that Americans fear most. Running out of money. Economic collapse. Identity theft. Terrorism, number one was government corruption. It's the number one fear of Americans, according to this poll. But one thing I didn't see mentioned was the glory of God, the righteousness and holiness and wrath and anger of God against sin. I didn't see that mentioned. But that is a proper thing for people to be afraid of. But as the narrative goes on, we see that there is also a prohibition against fear. There's a proper time to be fearful, but at the same time, there's a prohibition against fear. Do you know what the most commonly issued command in the Bible is? I suppose I'm kind of giving it away, given the title of my sermon tonight. But you might think that it would be... Have no idols, have no gods before me. You might think it would be love one another. Those are commonly said commands in the Bible, but it is actually the truth that the most commonly said command in the scriptures is a word of comfort. Do not fear. Do not fear. We see this over and over in the scriptures. Countless examples of God coming into overwhelming difficult circumstances and issuing these words of comfort example Abraham Genesis 15 1 God had promised to Abraham that his wife was going to have a child years and years went by Abraham was discouraged Abraham was wondering is God going to come through or not and in Genesis 15 God comes to Abraham and he says Abraham fear not I am your shield don't be afraid Moses, Exodus 14, right before the crossing of the Red Sea with Egyptian soldiers on their heels. That is an occasion for fear. And yet God, through Moses, says to the people, fear not, don't be afraid. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid. How about Jeremiah Remember, God comes to Jeremiah and says, you're going to be my prophet, Jeremiah. You're going to go and declare the word of God to all the people and to my people, and you're going to call them to repent, and they're not going to listen to you, and they are going to resist you. But God says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jeremiah, because I am with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be right there with you. No reason to fear. How about Jehoshaphat? Jehoshaphat? 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read this story of a great multitude, it says, of enemy hordes, countless numbers of soldiers coming to attack Judah. And God comes to Jehoshaphat and says, do not be afraid, Jehoshaphat. This is nothing to be scared of, these thousands and thousands of hostile enemy forces that are trying to kill you. Don't be afraid, because this battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. All of this is summed up wonderfully in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1 says this, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. What is it, friends, that you're afraid of tonight? What is keeping you awake at night? What is that thing that rattles around in your head and wakes you up at 3.30 a.m. so that you can't sleep? God says to you, as He said to the angels, do not fear. I don't know if I even pointed that out. In verse 10, the angels said to them, fear not, fear not. What this tells us is a couple, I think, very comforting things. One is this God knows that fear is common among us. He knows that we tend to be fearful. I think that's why we see this command over and over and over again in the Bible don't be afraid. But something else we learn from this is this God doesn't want you to live in fear. That's why He tells us so often not to be afraid. He doesn't want you to be enslaved by fear. He doesn't want you to wake up every morning filled with dread. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be liberated from that. And to be liberated from our fears is a huge thing, isn't it? It was Aristotle who said, He who overcomes his fears will truly be free. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be liberated from our fears? So we have this prohibition against fear. Don't be afraid. But it's reasonable to ask this question in response to this. Why not? I mean, just to say, don't be afraid, might sound kind of empty, unless there's a good reason behind it, right? I mean, let's say you're on a ship, and the ship is sinking, it's going down, and another passenger says to you, hey, don't be afraid. And you look to him, and you say, well, what do you know? How how is it that you can tell me this? Do you have something that I need to know about this? You're just a fellow passenger. You're going down with me. That command, don't be afraid, is empty of credibility. But how about if you hear the captain of the ship say, friends, I want you to know that we're having some troubles, but I have it entirely under control and I know exactly what to do. And when you hear that, you begin to be relieved. And... The one who is in control of all things tells us not to be afraid, and it's for a good reason. And that's because there is a provision that God has provided for the fearful. Look here in verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not. And now he has a reason for. Behold, he says, I bring you good news. I'm speaking a word of grace to you. The angel's not coming speaking a word of judgment. Remember John 3:17 says, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Judgment is coming when Jesus comes again. But when Jesus came the first time, he came in grace. He came with a word of hope. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in verse 10. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior has come, and his name is Christ the Lord. Christ means the Anointed One, the Messiah. Lord is translated, um, is the uh, New Testament word for the Old Testament word for Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. In the earth, what the angel is saying here is that this Christ child, this Jesus, is God in the flesh, the promised Messiah that we've all been waiting for for centuries. He's here. He's come in the person of Jesus Christ. We just sang about this, or we just heard the band sing to us about this. We've been waiting, Savior, waiting for you. We've been hoping, Savior, hoping it's true. With the world like it is, with our hearts so cold, we've been counting down to a thought. Have our yearnings gone amiss? Or could we be so bold to believe that there is peace after all? Could it be true that the Messiah has come and that he has provided the peace that we're all longing for? It is true, friends. It is true. That's the Christmas story. That's the essence of what we've been hearing about tonight. And that's what the passage goes on to say. In verse 14, as the angels, a multitude of them, join together praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace is brought to us by the Messiah. What does he mean by that peace? Is it just that all wars are going to cease? Does it just mean that everybody's going to get along? That might be part of it, but I think what is meant here is that in Christ Jesus, in this Messiah, there is peace for sinners with their Creator that the hostility and anger of God against sin can be put away when we put faith in this Jesus. Because this Jesus, who was born into the world, into a manger, grew up into a child, into a teenager, into adult, he obeyed the law of the Father perfectly his entire life, all his thoughts, all his deeds, all his intents, perfectly in line with the Father's will, and yet he went to a cross, And he offered himself up there, shedding his blood on Calvary. And Colossians 1 tells us this, that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here is the reason why we don't have to be fearful. The very worst fear... That we should all have, and that is the wrath and anger of God against our sins, has been fully and decisively dealt with on Calvary. In the work of Jesus Christ, His atoning sacrifice and His resurrection from the dead, received by faith. And friends, you can know this peace. You can have assurance that there is peace between you and God. You can know that God is not angry with you. You can have assurance that God is not one to be feared any longer. Because all the reason for that fear has been taken by Jesus on your behalf. I think in the end, the way to be fully delivered from fear is simply to be so absorbed in this Savior, so preoccupied with this gospel that we don't have time to think about our fears. There's no room in our hearts. There's no room in our heads for fears because we are captivated and consumed with Jesus. I mentioned to you Linus Van Pelt earlier in the message from a Charlie Brown Christmas I saw a story uh, uh, pointing this out on the web. This is not an original observation of mine, but um, there's Linus with his security blanket. He's got it right next to him. You might remember in this program, Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown is discouraged. He's despairing, wondering why he screws everything up, and he cries out, Can anybody tell me what Christmas is about? And Linus Van Pelt takes the stage and he says, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And Linus reads, actually recites from memory, (laughs) the very passage that I just read to you and I've been talking to you about tonight. And he's holding his blanket while he's reciting this passage. And it's fascinating to notice that at the very moment that Linus says, Fear not, he drops his blanket. Let's go of it. Look at him. Look at that look on his face. (laughs) He's, He's consumed with the grace and glory and mercy and kindness of God. He's meditating on the promises of God. He's thinking about this command, fear not, because a Messiah has been born. The one in whom all our hopes and fears are met. If you're fearful this Christmas, let me encourage you to be captivated with the gospel, to trust in Jesus, to make room for him in your heart, to take your eyes off your fears and place them on Jesus. Let's pray. God in heaven, we do thank you for this glorious message. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you that you have come for us in Jesus. Lord, liberate us from our fears, I pray. Make us bold people, not because we're confident in ourselves, but because we're confident in a Savior who has risen from the dead and reigns over the entire universe and is fully worthy of our trust. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.